on, right? <laughs> the pressure is on. Hey, security peeps. This is Renee Small. I'm back with another Breaking Into Cybersecurity edition. And I'm here with the infamous hype man, Ken Underhill, a.k.a. Cyber Oprah. Hey, Ken. <laughs> hey, hi, everybody. <laughs> hey, uh, hey, everyone. Uh, hey, Renee, thanks for having me on. It's great to be back on you guys' show. Absolutely. So we want you here for all types of reasons. And oh first and foremost, yeah. So as you, whoever does not know Ken, I mean, everybody should know Ken in cybersecurity, but this is actually going out there to people to help them demystify cybersecurity. So with this season three of the podcast, really trying to take this beyond the cybersecurity um, community and go out into the world and demystify cybersecurity for people who are either looking to get into the field um, or just have no idea what the field is and want to learn more about it. So happy to have you here because over the past couple of days during Cybersecurity Awareness Month, we've had a number of people come on who have talked about their various backgrounds. I mean, some emotional, passionate stories from Katoria Henry, from um, Amir Vincent, people who have literally grown up in, and you, I, I saw some similarities there because I was looking back in, in your, um, in your background, saw that you came from like pretty much a very poor background. You talk about this and how you have evolved. You went to you, your former military, come into you know went into the into the military, and then became a nurse transitioned all the way to the point where now you have, I think this is the first cybersecurity TV show. <laughs> so Ken, tell us, talk to us about, tell me about, the first thing I want you to talk about is like where you grew up and what made you kind of think about getting into cybersecurity after, you know, tell us your story. Sure. I mean, I, I grew up in the north. I won't say exactly where, right? Because you know, there's people doing OSINT right now as we're filming this. Uh, but I grew up in in a northern place, uh, very cold, very broke, very broke. Uh, many times, didn't have a lot of food growing up. Sometimes I went without food. Uh, and throughout that, right, there was a number of people that stepped in, right? You know, there was um, one of the stories I share is a a gentleman. I think it was Nabisco. He worked out. He worked as a driver and. Back then, if they dented the boxes or like tore them open as a driver, they couldn't put them on the shelf in the store. And what they would do is they would be able to buy those at like a discount, a heavy discount. And so he would deliberately, I won't say his name because I don't want him to get in trouble, but he would deliberately damage boxes of food to be able to bring, you know, food, food to us. And so there was many people like that throughout growing up that, that sort of stepped in. It was still tough, right? You know, I mean, adversity isn't easy. And when you're in those situations, it's a little easier, in my opinion, to deal with them as a child than as an adult, because as a child, you still kind of got that play mindset. You're still kind of resilient. As an adult, you start feeling sorry for yourself and, you know, all these things that we do as adults. So that's where it started at. You know, I grew through a lot of adversity. I won't share all that. Um, from there, I was never really into computers as a kid. I mean, I played Oregon Trail. That's probably dating me a little bit uh, as far as my age. But I really wasn't into computers. I, I was more into girls, chasing girls, and that kind of drove my my directive at at that stage of my life. Um, I went into uh, went into well, I did I did I got a scholarship to a community college. I won't. I mean, we could go for hours, right, on my background, but I got a scholarship to a community college and kind of had to get my act together to be able to get that. 
And I did a, I did like a year there. And then I was kind of like, yeah, I don't, you know, taking some classes. I was still kind of working like, you know, minimum wage jobs. And I just decided to go in the military. One of the driving factors was, I, you know, again, the girl factor. Uh, I was like, I want to be a paramedic and get girls. Um, it's ne- <laughs> by the way, that's never a good reason to do anything in life. Uh, you should have a little more focus. Uh, and so I ended up going to the military as, as a medic, uh, ended up also getting a nursing license in there. Um, and so I had done IT shortly before the military. I'd done it, you know, briefly. And then I decided to go, you know, in, into healthcare. And so I did that for a number of years. Um, kind of got tired of the IT departments uh, where I was working as a nurse. I was like, I could do this better. Uh, you know, like they, like I was teaching them, right. I was like, well, this doesn't make any sense, right. They should know how to do these things. Uh, so I moved back into IT and then uh, was doing like network admin, um, sysadmin stuff, started doing some analyst stuff. Uh, they kind of just looped that into my job title. I was running vulnerability scans, et cetera. Moved into pen testing uh, again because the organization I was at was cheap. And so they didn't want to hire anybody. So they just, just kind of fell on my lap. Uh, and then from there, you know, I did that for a number of years. I probably five, six, maybe seven years uh, working both in the IT and cyber side of healthcare. And then many people know me when I pivoted over to Cybrary, where I created courses on hacking, forensics, et cetera. I think I have like 20 plus courses on the site right now. Um, and then from there, you know, I started my own uh, companies around um, cyber, right? So, you know, I, I have a tech company uh, where we're basically now we've pivoted to just um, helping cybersecurity companies do the marketing side, right? Kind of helping them, helping them grow. And then as you were talking about the TV show, right? Uh, so last year I started a podcast called Cyber Life. I really wanted to just kind of showcase people in the industry that maybe maybe didn't get a voice, all the time, right? These weren't people that were like at the top of the industry necessarily or well-known or, and I just wanted a place where people could come on and feel comfortable and, uh, you know, especially minorities, right? And and not saying that nobody else gets a shot, but like, it's just, there's certain things you see when you're woke and I just wanted a platform to be able to do that. And so I've got, you know, 5,000-ish downloads a month or whatever. It's a pretty, pretty decent sized podcast. I don't do it as much as I probably should. I probably have a lot more people if I, if I did it more consistently. Um, but I was fortunate because of that to interact with some people and become friends with them that uh, are, are, you know, one of them has a background in Hollywood. The other one has a background in Wall Street. And so they decided to launch channels, right? Their own uh, streaming TV channels. And so one of them they launched in uh, June of this year, uh, I'll just plug it. It's called Promote Her. It's it's you know targeted towards women to to showcase women, uh, especially women business owners, especially minority women business owners. So it's a great channel. Uh, and then they opened up another opportunity. They decided to open a, another channel. Um, I like to think partially because I pestered them uh, as a male because I couldn't get on the Promote Her channel, but also because they wanted to do do the right thing. And so with that, it's a new channel launching in November called MechaStream. And on that, it's going to be the Cyber Life Show. So my podcast has evolved to uh, an actual show now, which I'm super excited about. I, like you said, I, I feel like Oprah, uh, you know, maybe without the book club and stuff like that. Well, that's coming next. I, no, yeah, I first yeah. see that. I first see the books. I've already seen like all this book sharing and book stuff going on in the cybersecurity space. So I see that happening. We'll be on. We'll be on Ken's couch. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, I'm going to make you cry, Renee. I hope you're okay with that. Well, you know, I'll cry. I'll cry for you. Only cool. for Ken. Cool. So, that. Ken, you um, 
some of the things you talked about just now is taking that going and creating cyber life, the cyber life podcast and having that as a space where there were different voices and voices where um, that may not necessarily have gotten much exposure. Tell me more about what made you kind of, what, what was the impetus to start it? And talk to me about the types of voices that are on, that have been on some of your favorite ones. Well, I, I won't say favorites because I don't want to like, you know, anyone to be like, oh, he didn't say my name. Oh, popular. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I started it. Uh, Audience favorites. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I started it shortly before Black Hat last year. I, I don't remember exactly why. Like I, like, I think someone had mentioned, like, you should have your own podcast. You have a nice voice or something. And I've always had people tell me, like, you've got a nice phone voice and stuff. Sometimes it's creepy when, when some people do it, but um, <laughs> uh, I think that, so that's kind of how I got it started. I, I was like, all right, let's, let's just sort of, I'd seen all the one, other ones out there and I thought, okay, well, yeah, there could be like cyber news and stuff like that. But like, you know, Cyberwire does that very well. Right. I don't want to like, that's not my thing. And so I, I just was kind of like, I was looking for something missing. Right. And, and at that time, there a lot of podcasts that are very popular now were just getting started, right? Or they'd just been in their infancy, infancy. And so I, I wanted to, I was like, okay, well, what's, what's different? Like I was like, well, what I'm good at is like backing up a step. I don't believe in playing on your weaknesses whatsoever, right? Because even if you put all this effort into your, your weakness, you're only going to improve marginally. But if you focus on the things you're really good at, and you master those and you become like the absolute best at those, that's what you should focus on, right? So when you recognize your gifts, whatever it is, go all in on, on those because you can hire people to do the weakness stuff, right? You can hire, like I suck at Excel, right? Like I hire people to do Excel spreadsheets. I don't need to worry about that, right? I'm good at whatever. So I focus on that. And so I realized that I was good at interviewing people and just talking to people. And even though I'm an introvert, I'm good at especially like, you know, over the phone. I'm really good at talking to people where I don't have to like see them or, or whatever. Um, and so that's kind of how, kind of why I started that, right? I was like, all right, I know I'm good at this type of format and I don't have to keep coming up with content, right? I just bring people on, I ask them questions and, you know, and they just talk and share their story and, you know, and hopefully it inspires someone to go in that career path or to get into the industry or, you know, or maybe it's just, you know, someone out there is having a similar struggle, and they hear that's, oh man, someone else went through that and this is what they did and that changes their life. And so that was kind of the, as kind of sappy as it might sound, that was sort of the the overarching goal is to, to allow the podcast to impact the world, right? And it, it sounds a little cliche, so to speak, but that was sort of my goal with it. I never, you know, even though I'm a business-minded person, I never had the goal with the podcast itself to to turn it into some massive revenue generating, you know, machine or whatever, you know, I see a lot of people trying to do that. And like, for me, it was just more authentic, right? It was more, I wanted to be authentic. I wanted the authenticity and I wanted it to really be a platform that could both allow people to share their voice as well as allow other people to learn from that voice and those stories and just really have it impact their lives in a positive way. I love that. I like, I like, how you say impact the world, because I think when I first connected with you, I don't know how long ago it was, your goal at the time was to maybe train a hundred thousand people or a million, something like that. But ultimately it's gone up and up and up. So it's like train a hundred thousand. Then it was like train a million. Now it's like impact the world. 
And I absolutely love that. And I think you're, you know, some of the, the, the points that you made around, you know, yield to your strengths and not your weaknesses. So, so, so true. Like double down on what it is that um, is easy for you, you're passionate about, you know, you want to do things like that. Um, and it will only get better. So talk to us about the audience's favorite episode. <laughs> so, so far, uh, the number one episode viewership wise is the one with Katia Dean. Um, that's still the, the first episode I did with her is still the number one most viewed episode. Uh, I mean, we all know she's world famous, but just about every episode, world in fact, in, yeah, world famous. Um, <laughs> Love it. I, I will say, Renee, that interestingly enough, when I looked at the analytics, because I did a few episodes like just on my own, right, like early on. Mm -hmm. And when I looked at the analytics, nobody cared about me just talking, right? Like the number one episodes are where I've got someone else on sharing their story, their struggles, their experiences. You know, we're just we're, we're having a light na nature conversation. In fact, for a lot of people that came on, it was their very first podcast, uh, you know, I had to cut parts out, right? They're like, oh my God, I'm so nervous to be on. You know, I, I cut all that stuff out. Uh, some people, we had some really authentic um, conversations and and really deep dive into a lot of challenges and struggles and adversity that people had faced. And so what, what you hear on the podcast isn't everything, right? Because I cut out a lot of stuff because I don't, yes, it's, authentic. Yes, it's the story, but like there's certain things that people trust to to say to me in a conversation that that in my opinion aren't for the masses, right? It's 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 a private conversation. And and so you'll you'll hear these stories on the podcast and also, you know, when people are on the show, but understand that that's not the entire story, but it's because there's a level of trust there, right? And whether the other person are, is okay with it or not, I just don't feel comfortable putting, you know, like all Renee's secrets, you know, out there for the world. Because for me, there are certain things that I might open up to, like, let's say Renee and I are doing a, a show episode or something and filming it. There's things that I may open up to about, uh, you know, my childhood or, or, you know, other struggles in life. And I don't want the world to know that, right? Because there's a certain like trust factor with that other person that you have, even if you just met them. So I'm saying that to say that what you hear on the episodes or what you'll see on, on the Cyber Life uh, TV show when it launches, you're you're not getting a full picture, but but take the message that you get from that episode, right? And try to apply it to your life. You're not getting everything because it's it's not a in my opinion, it's just not the right thing to do to share someone's deepest secrets and hurt and pain. And, uh, you know, and I know uh, I mentioned right before this that, that someone jokingly calls me cyber Oprah, but I, I, I will, in my opinion, I will never, in, well, not my opinion, but I will never, like I said, someone trusts you in that conversation to, to, to really open up to you about some very painful things sometimes. And, and I will never exploit that to, to try to get viewership or whatever. Like I'm not TMZ or whatever, you know, I'm, I'm not that. So I, so I just want to put that out there. So sometimes you'll listen to the episode and, and you may think that the person didn't go through all the struggles you went through, but I'm, I can, I can probably tell you that just about anything you could think of people both on the podcast as well as the, the TV show 
have gone through just about every situation possible. And so just try to find the message in, in that show that relates to you and, and hopefully it benefits you in, in some capacity. So Ken, I think I'm curious though, because with people sharing this information with you and they know they're being recorded and they know that the, it's part of who they are. Um, do you think that potentially some of those struggles and some of the hardship is beneficial for others to hear, not necessarily from a trying to exploit the person per se, but from that person who is going through, you know, a similar circumstance and saying, wow, look at this person on the other side of that. So for me, yeah. So for me, I still, I still am, am against that. Now I will say that if a story is shared with me in that capacity, typically I, you know, well with the cyber life TV show, I'll more than likely have, well, I will have a blog. And so I'll probably share it there in some capacity, but with generic names and, you know, to protect identity. I, I, I still, and when I, when I'm on with these individuals recording the episodes, we have that conversation, right? We, yes, it's being recorded, but I, I'm going to cut out these parts because number one, the show is only 30 minutes, right? You know, there's got to, there's commercial breaks, all these things, you know, so really we can't deep dive into, you know, a four hour, you know, or, or, you know, hour long or like, we can't really deep dive into a lot of the struggles people go through, but I think a more appropriate location to, to have those where people can see different, situations or struggles that maybe they're going through right now or they're or they're, they can anticipate going through is something like a blog right or articles or something where there's some obfuscation in the identity of the individual i just i'm still just firmly against because i've had that situation where i've opened up in the past and whether it's for exploitation or not people have shared some, some, some things that were extremely tough struggles for me and I didn't want anyone to know about. And, and yeah, I might've, you know, it, it, if it was recorded or something at that time, I, I, you know, maybe I would have said yes or, but I still didn't really want that, but maybe I would have felt pressured. And so I, I'm just not going to do that. Right. I'm just going to put that out there right now. So, you know, if anyone's listening, they're like, well, what about, I'm not going to do that. Um, because I feel that, you know, a lot of people trust me as a confidant as um, I mean, people have, unfortunately in the past, I've had people like make crimes to me. Like, don't tell me that stuff. I don't want to, I don't want to know that. Um, but like, what's the craziest crime you've heard? I mean, nothing like murder or something. I mean, like, come on, I have to report that, but I mean, you know, people being shady, like, you know, with, with their, with their taxes or, or whatever, you know, especially business owners. I'm like, you shouldn't, you, you shouldn't do it that way, right? Because the energy always comes back to you, right? If you're doing shady stuff, the energy always comes back to you in some capacity. But for me, it's 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 more about being a confidant. Like just because someone says you can share this struggle. Now, if it's just a struggle of like, you know, for example, like Katia, right? Like Katia was unemployed for nine months. And so she shared her struggles of like what she did to kind of you know, she started a blog and, you know, like that's different. Right. But like if someone's raped as a child, I'm not sharing that. I don't care what the industry says. I'm not, I'm not sharing that, but I may share an article with, you know, a different identity or something and just kind of say like, you know, some people have been, 
you know, gone through this as a child, and these are some of the job roles they've done, and they've they got through it this way, right? They coped with it this way, right? Something like that to me is fine, but I'm 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 not ever going to share those really, you know, what some people might call those juicy details, even though somebody else might be going through that struggle, they can see that just fine. And they can learn from that just fine through a anonymous type of environment versus somebody having to put themselves out there because it just makes it a really uncomfortable conversation for that person mm-hmm. moving forward, especially in the workplace, right? They, people come up and start saying, Oh my God, I'm so sorry that happened to you. And you know, right. It just gets really awkward. Yeah. No, I understand. I was curious more about and and um Katia is a great example because she literally was on LinkedIn. So it was public and everything was shared. And even you talk about, you know, you give your bio, it's on LinkedIn. I grew up poor, now I'm doing this, you know, all these different things. Um, but I'm always kind of curious as to people who, you know, some people I I believe, even even though they've gone through some really, really, really horrific things that they want to share that um, and want to show others, you know, like that are in that dark places, like you can overcome this. So I was just curious about all of that um, and where they'll end up in the show. So talk to us about the actual episodes, like how many episodes you said it was 30 minutes each show. So how many episodes and what, tell us about, you know, not every juicy detail, obviously, because <laughs> then we, we either will want to watch or won't want to watch. <laughs> it'll, it'll be like the housewives, I guess. So talk to us about what's going on. What's the first, first, epi- first couple episodes like, um, and it's showing, it's coming out in November, right? Yeah. So it's coming out in November. Uh, don't have a actual date yet. I'm planning for early November. Uh, I've got to get with the production team and actually film the in-studio parts. So I've been filming people via Zoom right now to kind of get the interview parts of it. So a lot of different things doing with the show, right? So number one, one aspect will be interviews with various people in the industry. I wanted to keep that authenticity from the podcast and and kind of pivot it over to the show. I'm going to have in-person filming done with some business owners. So I'll be teaching them some different cybersecurity topics with like fun activities and just... I just wanted to kind of spice it up a little. I'm going to have an episode uh, with a uh, with a forensics guy here in Houston, and also bring on some kids. And so we're going to teach them some some forensic stuff. You know, have some candy, of course. You know, it's kids; you got to have candy to keep them occupied, and then send it back to the parents. Uh, and so a, a little variety with that, right? I've got um, you know, season one is planned for 12 episodes. I've already got 40 people booked for um for recordings i've done a you know only only a few of those so far so literally i've got season two you know probably season three but keep them coming right i just want to say keep them coming um reach out to me i'll send you a link to get get on the calendar get recorded um so basically the episodes will come out wednesday nights eight o'clock your local time so if you're in india you watch at eight o'clock your time if you're here in the u.s whatever your time zone you eight o'clock your time on wednesday nights the good news is if you can't make that uh, within a couple of days, the episodes will then be uploaded into a repository. So you'd be able to kind of like a Netflix, right? You know, which people are calling Kenflix. So you can watch Kenflix, uh, you know, at your convenience, you can binge watch. Um, and as part of that, you know, I'm mindful that there's a ton of episodes and there's only, I, I can only launch for a month, right? Once a week. So I'm exploring options to figure out how to get like a massive, you know, influx so you can really binge watch. So I, I'll figure that out. But initially expect one episode a week and, you know, kind of things in tranches. And what I'll also do, I'm actually building the website today uh, for the show. And so I'm going to um, 
I'm going to have parts of episodes that I'll kind of, kind of teasers, right? I'll have like little teasers and, uh, and, and, and put those on the site so you can get a little taste of each episode before it comes out and just, you know, give you a little nugget or whatever. Uh, I also want to mention if you're out there in the industry and you've got like free resources for people to, um, for people that are trying to look at to get into cyber, um, send them my way. Cause the other thing I'm going to do with the website is kind of have a repository where people could go and they can watch free courses or, so if you got free stuff like that and you want to link it, you know, on the site, let's link it on the site. If you got paid stuff, no, <laughs> you know, uh, this, you know, free repository. If you got paid stuff, we can talk about something, but you're not getting that for free. You know, like I really want to have something for when people watch this show, cause it's going out to the masses, right? It's not just cyber people watching it. It's going to be the general public as well. And it's going out to um, here in the U S it's going to be reaching like 72 million households or something uh, globally, like 300 million people roughly, you know, these are rough estimates or whatever. Initially um, we're actually planning initially over 10,000 people on the, watching the first few episodes so there's good traction, right? There's going to be a good amount of people watching it. So if you got free stuff that you want to offer to people that are maybe interested in cyber and they just want to get a taste of different areas, please reach out to me on LinkedIn and then, you know, we'll figure out how we can kind of get a, that up in that repository um, on the site, as I mentioned. That's amazing. Those numbers are crazy. And it's such a good resource for people, especially since so many people have no idea what cybersecurity is. It's one big mystery. So super excited. Every time I talk to to people outside of the industry, they're like, it's one big mystery. You know, like (laughs) so when I asked you the other day, well, first let me shout out some people who are here. So um Katia, she's on here saying she's still lit. Um about it. Danielle Goodwin. Chris Cochran talking about see you soon, Ken. Oh, Chris, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm 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 feeling I'm feeling hurt right now, Chris. I'm feeling like a second class citizen. <laughs> you know, I've I've been uh, I've been pestering him and uh, Ron for for a minute to like let's do a recording for this TV show, guys. <laughs> they know I love them. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, great guys. And and by the way. If if listeners out there haven't heard of the Hacker Valley Studio podcast, be check sure to check it out. It's those guys are great, um, you know, yeah. great group, great couple of guys, and you know, helping a lot of people and interviewing some great people. They they do, and we had a little a run going here for a couple months where we broke LinkedIn on uh, with Hacker Valley Studio and breaking into cybersecurity. So it was fun every Friday for about I don't know eighteen weeks or so, seventeen weeks we went. So um, Danielle says, getting cybersecurity into the hands of the masses um, and a bunch of hearts. <laughs> yes, yeah. that's what we're trying to do, Danielle. I mean, people need to know about this. Katia says, we still love you, Renee. <laughs> <laughs> feeling the love, feeling, feeling kind of like a second class citizen here. Um, so, so, Ken, some of the things that you, um, some of the people that you're bringing on. So you have 40 guests coming. Um, over the course for the first, for the first season, for season one. And well, then well, yeah, no, so, put them out. yeah, yeah. It's, it's going to be staggered, but like I said, I'm trying to figure out, um, a way to sort of release episodes into that Kenflix repository, uh, sooner than, you know, cause they're going to be dripped out basically once a week live, but I kind of want to have additional stuff in there. So understand that even though like if, if that works out, you know, let's just say, let's just say in December, I up, you know, upload 50 of them in, into uh, the repository. That doesn't mean your show is not going to run live, right? Like it'll go into a cycle, but just 
I don't want people to, I want the demand, right, for people to tune in weekly, but I also understand, like, we all have lives, right? Like, I'm, I binge watch stuff, right? Like, I get really busy, and then I'll go binge watch, like, Tiger King. Like, I binge watch that, you know, because everybody else is talking about it. Um, so I'm I'm with you, right? I, I want to say I'm with you. Yeah, so season one is 12 episodes planned. Um, but understand that, like, yeah, I've got, like, 40 people booked, and um, you know, I mean, it's, it's a mixture of people, right? It's a mixture of now it is, uh, it is people with experience. I want to put that out there. If you're a newbie, um, this isn't right now, this isn't the right, you know, I probably have a, I'll probably have some kind of like career or, or I'm, Hey, I'm trying to get in type of episode, mm -hmm. uh, where we talk about some of the struggles, but, but understand right now, it's not what I'm shooting for just because the general public, you know, is part of the audience. Right. So they, right now they don't necessarily care about struggles getting it. You know, they kind of care more about like what is cyber and, you know, they want to hear from people with experience and, and stuff like that. Right. So just, just kind of FYI, if you're looking to get on the show and you're, you're still trying to get in the industry, it's probably not a good fit right now, but just reach out to me anyways. Uh, but yeah, so I've got like 40 people scheduled so far. Um, and that's confirmed on the calendar. I, there's probably 10 or 15 more that, um, have reached out. They just haven't booked an appointment yet. And then I've got more people on my list, right. That I still got a contact and it's just, I, I did, I guess I didn't necessarily expect, I guess I should have, but I mean, I know Renee, so people see that and they, they want to book, but um, I guess I didn't expect this much. Uh, it, it's weird, right. Cause I, the industry is very supportive, right. I just want to put that out there. Extremely supportive, phenomenal individuals. I guess I just didn't expect this much support early on, right. Like it, you know, but people are just like, I want to come on. I want to, you know, I want to share, I want to talk about this topic, that topic. And, and I'm not saying no, because these are all things, I mean, it's a massive industry, right? Like these are all things that need to be talked about. And so, you know, on my end, I just have to kind of figure out the sort of the logistics of like, how do I put all this content out there now? You know, I've got all this content coming in. How do I put it out there for the masses? So I just want to say, it's, it's been, it's been phenomenal so far. And like the show's not even launched yet, right? Like we're, it's, it's, it's pretty insane to, um, you know, it's just insane to number one, to think of where I started at in life and, and sort of where I am now. I've been extremely fortunate, um, but I didn't sit on the couch and this came out of, you know, the ethers, right? Like you, you have to put in the work, you have to put in the work for years to get, uh, opportunities and you have to be open to them. Right. Um, uh, Mark Davenport is one of my business coaches and a very close friend, he has, he has a saying he always um, mentions and I don't know, you know, he's, he's coined it. I don't know if anyone's heard similar, but basically opportunity favors the favors the bold, right? So if you, as opportunities come, if you are hesitant and you don't take them, it may never come again, right? A lot of people think I, I'll do it next year or I'll, uh, you know, I'll take that dream job in, in six months when I have some more experience or, or when I learned, oh, I can't apply for this job at Google or Amazon or, or whatever or Netflix because I don't have all the criteria in the job description. Um, I can tell you right now, when, when I used to apply for jobs, like I, I would always pick the jobs where I had like no similarities, right? Like maybe one or something, right? And I'd, I'd shoot for that because whatever, right? The worst case, they say no, right? But what if they say yes or you even get that interview and then you can really showcase yourself? So um, you just have to take opportunities in life. I'm fortunate that this opportunity came and I jumped on it as soon as I heard about it. Uh, and when they asked me like, what, what topic of show, 
I mean, there was no, I was like cybersecurity. Like I didn't know what it was going to be about, but I was like cybersecurity, you know, I just threw out the buzzword and, and uh, you know, we kind of went from there. So yeah, I just want to, for everyone watching and everyone that watches this later, I just want to, um, you know, uh, without getting too mushy, uh, you know, and, and all of us busting out in tears, I just want to completely express gratitude, right. For, for everything you guys do in your roles, you do for the community, you do for the world, uh, as well as that you've, you know, done for me, right. Even just liking my post or, uh, you know, sharing free resources with, with the audience. And I mean, just, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to, I'm not a very emotional guy, so, you know, I'm not going to break down in tears. Don't worry, Renee. Um, but I just want to really express gratitude to everyone out there listening, no matter when you listen to this, that, uh, you are appreciated. You may not get appreciated by your boss, you know, or, or society or, or whatever, but, uh, you know, I appreciate you. I appreciate the work that you're doing. I appreciate the, the help you're doing for everyone. I see it. Uh, I make sure that other people that are very influential see it. And so, um, you know, I just want to, you know, like I said, just want to say thank you to everyone for that. That's fantastic, Ken. Having that level of gratitude, I think, is what makes people draw, you know, draws, they draw, it draws people to you. And you've always been the type of person who is constantly trying to help people and get more people in the field and just, you know, consistently, like over the last couple of years that I've known you and even put, I know likely before that, way before that, been that person who's like consistently trying to drive to get more people in the industry, make more people aware of the, of security, make it fun, make it interesting, you know, like watching some of your um, cyber trainings and just train, I think trainings even before that, where it's just very interesting, very entertaining. Um, and demystifying um, security. So we had we talked a little bit there a little bit about how I put up this post and you talked about the myths that people have and we're doing some myth busting this month. <laughs> um, myths people have about security and I think this is a great forum because your show will likely will definitely be myth busting. That's what I think is going to happen by showcasing all of these people because you know you said it best. Some of these, a lot of these folks think that, you know, some of the things that I had heard from that post that I put up, people, when I said, hey, what are some of the myths people think about in your cybersecurity career? People think I hack all day. Think People think I'm just a pen tester. And the one thing that I think that was very, very, um, really resonated with me is one of the things that you said, which is people believe that they, they don't even understand that part of their role is cyber. Like they don't realize that they're already in the field. So tell us, give me a little story about that, about people who you've connected with, who they're actually doing some cybersecurity and then have no idea that that part of their job is in cyber. Yeah, I mean, I know some some people working in networking, right? And so just because you're configuring a router, like you're doing network security. And so I think where a lot of people make the mistake is they think that your job title has to have cybersecurity in it right? For you to be cybersecurity and in the industry and, and all this stuff. And that's not reality. If you actually look at like the NICE framework and you look at the KSA, so knowledge, skills, and abilities, if you don't know what that, that um, acronym is. But if you, if you look at that, you'll, you'll recognize that you're actually more than likely doing something in security, even as a nurse, right? Even looking back as a nurse, I did security, right? In some capacity, because 
I had to be mindful of, you know, I had to do, you know, accuracy, right? So I had to do accurate reporting, right? Which is, you know, a thing, especially in pen testing. I had to keep patient data safe, right? I had to be mindful of security. I had to make sure that I had a strong password, you know, all these things. And, and granted, there were some technical controls and stuff in place, but especially when I worked um, pediatrics in the home with the little critical babies, I had to be mindful of keeping medications safe. I had to keep keep the paper charting we did at the time safe. Uh, when, when we moved to electronic, I had to keep the laptop, make sure that was locked, you know? So yes, it wasn't, I wasn't like, you know, hacking, you know, the Pentagon, but like I was doing security things. So I'm going to talk on two angles real quick. So if you're transitioning from, you know, sort of a, like a totally another career path and you're trying to get into IT or cyber, you have to look at your current role and figure out how that kind of applies. So I'll give you an example. And I don't remember exactly what I told this guy, but he was working at a grocery store stocking shelves, right? So most people will be like, there's no way that correlates to security, right? You're just, you're stocking shelves, which by the way, I suck at. I worked a, a job for a pharmacy for like two weeks, you know, and, and they have all these diagrams and stuff and you have to pin the things the right way. And it's just the second slot, not the third. And I wasn't good at that. Like I said, don't play to your weaknesses. So I quit that and I moved on with life, but he's apparently really good at stocking shelves. So um, what I told him is I was like, look, so, okay. So you, you deal with large amounts of inventory right? You know, which, which could equate to large amounts of data, right? So you're able to analyze large amounts of inventory and then, uh, you know, segment out that inventory in the right spots, whatever. I was like, pivot it to kind of a data thing, right? Like, just like data, I take a large amount of inventory and I, you know, dissect it. I figure out what's the most critical things and I focus my task on that first and then blah, 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 right? Uh, another thing was, you know, customer service. I was like, all right, that's a soft skill, right? So, Talk about how you interact with, um, you know, people of different backgrounds or, or whatever, right? Just it doesn't have to be necessarily like you know Splunk, right? It, when you're pivoting from another career, sometimes it's difficult to to think in that mindset of what were the security things I did. It's a little easier for things like a nurse or dentist or whatever because you you've had to protect patient data in some capacity. So if you're transitioning from something totally different and trying to get into IT or cyber. Think about your current role and the things you do and the things you probably don't even think of that you do and how those things could translate into different security things. It could even just be from a, a risk management aspect, right? So maybe you worked as a security guard, right? Or law enforcement. You're good at risk management. You're, you know, so you you could be like, all right, you know, I helped reduce risk in this neighborhood by X, right? It's sometimes that's all it takes to get you that interview. And then from there you can showcase that you're learning and and all these things. And then the, the other um, sort of category of individual is the one, like I mentioned, right, that's already working in some role in IT or, or you know, DevOps or whatever. And they're thinking they need a job title as cybersecurity. You don't. Now, I will say that for a lot of people, it's kind of a bucket list item, right? They feel that they need you know, instead of it saying like IT engineer, they need, they feel like they needed to say cybersecurity engineer in some capacity because that will open up doors to whatever else. I'm going to, in my opinion, that's a no, right? Some people may argue that down, but in my opinion, if you work more on, uh, 
you know, your, your, your branding, your presentation, your sales skills, then it doesn't matter what your current job title is. You can sell anyone on you, right? We're all salespeople at the end of the day. And if you've ever wondered why, like you didn't get a job or you didn't get the, the salary that you were wanting or whatever, it all goes back to your sales skills. It, it's, it has nothing to do with the fact that you don't know Splunk as well as the person next to you. If you know how to sell yourself and say, well, that might be true, right? Technically, they're a little more advanced. However, blah, 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 right? If you can spin that stuff in a conversation and sell yourself appropriately, then it, it doesn't necessarily matter. Now, if you're trying to go for a seasonal role and, and you're, you just worked at McDonald's, like, be a little realistic, but I'm talking about if you're kind of, kind of, you know, like, like don't focus too much on the fact that you need cybersecurity in a job title. Cause you don't like, in fact, if you go search the word cybersecurity, I'm like, indeed, you're going to find so many jobs that don't have it in the title. And these are random, you know, so like, don't focus on that. That's, a, that's a mistake I see a lot of people making. They just don't, they focus so much on a title and they don't realize that their task they're doing every single day are security related. So, so just kind of like, it's almost like a self-assessment, right? Like you take a step back if you're trying to if you're trying to get into cybersecurity. Take a step back on your current job and just ask yourself, okay, like what do I do in a day or a week or a month? And then jot those down and then say, okay, well, how does this relate to security, right? And then, and then you're going to find like, oh, gosh, 80% of my day is doing security. I didn't even realize it, right? So that's what you have to do. You have to do some, some self-assessment there. And then that also benefits you secondary by when you go to apply for new jobs, you know how to present yourself because you're like, I do these security things, et cetera, et cetera. So that's that's a, a, a big myth is that, and, and Katia talks about it all the time, right? Like people think that they're uh, that they're not in the industry and they are. And then, sec then also to that, you know, maybe tertiary is that they think you have to be totally technical to get a cyber job, right? And, and you don't, it helps, right? It definitely helps, but you can get, jobs and risk, you know, without understanding the, the actual technology, um, you know, but the thing with anything, right, is you can't be stagnant. You can't, like, you can't go to a job, get the job, like, let's just, just, just say you're doing risk management. You can't just go get that job in risk management and then expect that you'll never have to learn anything else, right? Like, there's no job exists like that where you just, like, even a doctor, right? You you still have to do continuing education and learn and and be abreast of new things. So don't think you're going to get a job and just kind of stay in it, you know, like the olden days. Like that, those days are gone, especially in technology. But you don't have to know everything to get that first job, right? You you can get a job. You just have to be creative sometimes. Sometimes you have to do a job you don't want, right? Sometimes you have to do a, a job title you don't want, right? But you have to think bigger. You have to you have to think a lot bigger. And how does this thing tie into kind of my bigger vision in life? Yeah, I think your point around having that cybersecurity title is so I could see why people would look to have that. And I totally get what you're saying, because when you do do a Google search or you do a search in Indeed or something, you put in cybersecurity. Every job under the sun pops up because cybersecurity is thankfully a component of so many roles right now, or it's being called out as a component when it wasn't being called out before. In addition, I do believe that people may see that as a way for, um, you know, when, when recruiters, for example, hiring managers are looking to fill a, a role 
and they look to, you know, the very first thing they're going to put in there is it matches the title. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if I'm looking for, for example, I'll be you know, incident response person, current incident response person to move into that role. Um, that's the easiest transition, right? But everything you're talking about is a selling yourself so that your doesn't it doesn't it doesn't align it doesn't need to easily align to that so I 100% um, agree with you but I could see how people are like oh my god I need to have this title because this you know this title is like the be all end all um, couple comments that are coming in here Christova Rojas hi Christova he said this is great info especially the soft skills aspect and a lack of knowledge within this industry I'm gaining more confidence with each interview and guest this might just might be something for me. I am so happy about that. Um, you have anything to say to him, Ken? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people overlook the soft skill aspect, right? You know, we 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 hear the buzzword a lot, like, oh, soft skills. I need to I need to do my soft skills. And people that I've spoken with, they focus on customer service or a lot of times they don't think through negotiation, right? Or they don't think through sales skills. Mm-hmm. But if you can develop those, then it really doesn't matter what area you go into, right? You, because let's just say that I'm, let's say, I, you know, we'll, we'll use incident response. Let's say I'm working as an incident responder and now I want to move into pen testing. Yeah, maybe I, you know, maybe it's an easy transition because I have contacts and everything after I've done it for a period of time. But if I can sell myself effectively of like why you should give me that chance, Renee, it's so much easier than... Uh, well, here's my, let me apply to a thousand job applications. In fact, there's a former, I think he's former FBI. I keep seeing him on LinkedIn and he keeps applying for jobs and, and not getting any response. I mean, like this is a guy with credentials, right? But when you do it that way, you're, you're, you're fighting those ATS systems, right? right. Um, and so the, the best way to do it and, and the way I learned to do it is instead of applying to jobs, you want to position yourself where when people hear your name or follow you, whatever, they, they think of that thing. Um, so as an example, incident response, let's say I'm somebody brand new. I'm like, I'm trying to get my first job, whatever. This may go against what all the gurus tell you, but I would say don't apply to jobs. And, and I'm not saying just sit on your couch and be like, it's going to come. <laughs> um, but what you, what you should do instead is show me what you know. Right. So like leverage the power of LinkedIn and, and film videos or do posts or whatever. And like, like show me that, you know, Splunk, right. Show me, you know, Nessus, whatever it is, right. A simple, or if you want a vulnerability scanner for those that don't know what those two are, um, you know, show me that, show me some logs and show like, show me a video of you walking through some logs and showing me how you identified that there was an attack, right. In this set of logs, like, these skills that you're going to be doing in the job, show me, right? Because mm-hmm. when you do it like that, you position yourself as a thought leader. And when you're a thought leader and people always think of, all right, this person knows incident response or this person knows like Renee, right? We, I think of recruiting, I immediately think of Renee, right? You know, so when, when you position yourself like that, what we call the marketplace in business, the marketplace, you know, the, the, the hiring managers or recruiters that are looking for these people, they're going to be like, oh, incident response. Oh, yeah, that that guy or gal over there is really good at that, right? And and then they're going to reach out to you and say, hey, I don't know if you're looking, but I got this cool role that just opened up. 
and you don't have to interview at that point, right? It's, it's just a formality at that point to do the actual right. interview and send your resume and stuff. So it's a, it's a different mindset, right? A lot of people f- apply to a thousand jobs and never get anything oh, back. Okay. But if you do it a different way, I always like to do it different than everybody else, right? Like This is so important, Ken. I mean, everything you're talking about is so important because people don't understand it. I, I had this exact same conversation with someone who called, who, you know, reached out and asked for advice. And it's the same thing. It's, it's, I, I pretty much said the same exact thing to him. I said, you know, you, you want to put yourself out there so that people are coming to you. You want to be kind of the honeypot. Like you want to be that, oh, they're coming to you. Like, oh, oh, this person is a thought leader in the space. And I said to him, influencer. And I said, a real one, not like an Instagram one, <laughs> like a, a, a real one, a real person who understands their craft, who's putting out great content, who knows what they're doing, that people are like, oh, the first name that pops up and it's, they want to come to that person and you need to become that person in your little world. And it very, very quickly, you don't have to be applying to a zillion jobs because to your point, you know, I saw a post earlier, I think it was late last night, early this morning, where this poor young lady is posting, um, you know, she says she applies to all these jobs, she's super frustrated going through, you know, the ringer, I think her name is Dana. In any event, you know, just super frustrated because of all these postings and then you get one call back and you're uh, you're one of thousands of people that are applying and then some, you know, somebody goes in or the ATS rules you out. I think it, it like pretty much gave her an automatic kind of like a boomerang um, response saying that she wasn't qualified. So it's just like, oh my goodness, I spent probably half an hour applying and in five minutes, it dings me out. And your method and what, you know, I've been preaching too is the same, is like apply, yeah, but like don't spend your life doing that. That should be a sliver of what you do. If your pie is 100%, that's probably like 10 to 15%, maybe 20% max. The other 80% is really, really building that network, becoming that thought leader, a real one. You do the research, you put the information out, you provide the content, all that good stuff. So Philip Wells says, become a subject matter expert. He is absolutely correct. Um, and then <laughs> Philip says, I need Ken, I need to be doing all of this. <laughs> so Danielle had a question. What are some key words to get into cybersecurity that don't have cybersecurity in the job description? And Danielle is actively looking. She's been on here faithfully, awesome, actively looking for opportunities. So we're going to try to help Dan- Danielle as much as possible. But what do you say, Ken? So there's a lot of words, right? So Danielle, Ask yourself, and a good place to start if you haven't already is is the NIST NICE framework, right? Look at the KSAs, and it's probably, you know, it's going to take you some time, right? There's a lot of them. Um, But look at them or reach out to Katia. She's got a, I think she's got a video that kind of breaks down that. So you don't necessarily have to look through all that stuff. Um, But but I would start there first. And you want to look at some of the, the tasks that you'll be doing in a job and just see what meshes with you. And that's just assuming you don't know what you want to do yet, right? Um, if you know what you want to do, if you know the job role you're looking at, then look for the keywords of those tasks, right? Those cat tasks or the skills that you'd be doing. The other thing I'll suggest is, you know, and sometimes that's in job description. Sometimes those are written by HR and they have no idea. Like we've all seen the one CISP, it's entry levels, but you need a, you need a CISP and you need 10 years experience as a CISO and um, ridiculous ones. But as far as words, terminology, 
it really depends on the job you're looking at. And it's really tough when you're starting out because if you've gone through like a university program or a boot camp or something, like you're exposed to hacking and you're exposed to, uh, you know, the defensive side and maybe some forensics and you're exposed to maybe some, some GRC side and you get exposed to all these areas and they call it cybersecurity and you graduate a certificate or something, but you're not specialized in anything. Right. And so you have to figure out where you want to go first, Danielle. And I know that's generic and feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn and we can chat more about it, but figure out what kind of job you're looking at first, then look at the skills that they list in the job descriptions around that. And then search for those skills, start on LinkedIn or go to indeed and search for, uh, you know, let's just say they say experience with SIM tools. So search for SIM, right. You know, on, on LinkedIn and indeed and see what kind of job titles pull up. Cause I've seen some really weird job titles that unless you search for the skill, you'll never find. Right. And that might be the, because people aren't searching like that, that might be the job that calls you back and you get your first job because you took the time to actually look and, and do a little more interrogation on these job sites. So start with the job role you're looking at or in, and find the skills for that and then go to, and I see someone just posted the, the framework um, link in there. So, okay. Um, yeah. So, the, yeah. So it's in the chat or whatever. Um, I can also send it to you if you guys reach out to me on LinkedIn, but um, start, start with wh what you want to do then look at the actual like skills, keywords and stuff they're putting in the job postings, then search for those. Um, don't just search in LinkedIn and, and Indeed. Also go to, you know, YouTube and Google are both a great search engine, right? So type in that there and see how other people are searching for things. And that might give you some other keywords to use. And so you have to do a little, what we call market research, right? Do, do some market research. And then from there, then you can focus on if you don't have those skills or you're not really good at them, Really, like Renee was saying earlier, really get good at your craft, right? Really focus on those skills and then go project-based. Don't – people get so many certs. My gosh, I there was someone that reached out to me that had like 10 certs. I'm like, what are you doing? Like, are you going to just collect certs and never get a job? Like, don't get – this is going to go against you know everybody's opinion, I guess, but don't get certs. Like, maybe get Security Plus or something, but like if you're starting out – and maybe a cloud one, right? AWS or something like just, yeah. just something to make your resume go through the ATS system. But otherwise don't go get CEH. Don't get OSCP. Don't, don't get that stuff. Like do projects, right? Show the projects because projects show the passion. Certs don't show the passion. A lot of people get exam dumps. They go, I mean, OSCP is hands on, but like for the ones that aren't people get exam dumps and they, they don't know anything, right? You ask them to, configure a router, they don't know anything about it because they did an exam dump for CCNA. Don't, don't get certs, right? Unless your job's going to pay for it or that, you know, if they're going to pay for it, great. But if they're not, don't waste your money on that stuff. Get projects, get the hands on, get like show you can actually do it. And then you can worry about like, once you've got the job, then you can worry about spending money on certs and degrees and, and all this stuff, you know, and much love to all the universities out there. I've got a master's, but I had military money to pay for it, right? Like I, I wasn't going to go get that, you know, and pay for it out of pocket mm -hmm. because it didn't make any sense, right? It didn't make any sense unless you've actually got experience. Then you go get those things, right? Um, Ken, you said you said don't get certs, and and I, um, I just want to add in that I have seen in my recruiting life that corporations, private 
you know, Fortune 100, Fortune 1000, that kind of stuff, don't overly look for certs um, at all. They want to see that you've done the thing. So when you say projects, that's exactly in the vast majority of the work that I've done. It's been from a recruiting perspective, mostly Fortune 1000 organizations, 90 something percent of the time, it's can this person get come in and hit the ground running? Can I put them in front of this keyboard and can they do what they said they can do on the resume? Even if it's a little bit. So from an entry level perspective, they don't expect you to know everything. Hopefully <laughs> your entry level, you know, you did a little project, you're familiar, you show the passion, like I've done these things, you have it posted, you have it out there, you know, so your social proof shows it, you have it on the resume, it shows it. and those are the people they tend to want. I've heard a numerous amount of times from many, many, many leaders that I don't care about certifications. It doesn't matter. Some of the people that I've placed in the most recent roles that are getting upwards of, you know, high 100, you know, 200 grand, that kind of number don't have certs. So just so people really understand um, that, Ken is absolutely right when it comes to private sector. So what I did learn, I was on with Justin Jones yesterday and last week, government related stuff, almost always there has to be a cert, right? So when you say get the, get the security plus, get something so that you're checking that box for them, it's like, okay. It's typically they say security plus or CISSP or something or a certification. So one cert can kind of satisfy that criteria to check that box. Um, but that is one area where he said, you know, and I've, I've, I've do a little bit of government, um, government contract recruiting, um, not a ton of it. Like the vast majority of my career has not been that it's only been like in the last two years or so where I do have some clients that are, um, that are either our government contractors and they do want like a certification. But in most of the time, it's not like tons of certs. But what he was saying yesterday that in his role, like if you do not have a cert, it's a full stop. He can't even, he can't do anything with you. So that's the caveat there. So Danielle wants to know, do home projects count? Okay, so Katia and Danielle, I know you're seeing this, but she says um, she did a quick look at your cert, uh, at your profile. So look up project management in this and then um, also reach out to her. So Danielle wants to know, um, do home projects count? And after that, Phil, because we're, we're coming up on an hour, Phil wants to know, what am I doing wrong? Because he's got projects. Okay, so I'll, yeah, I'll start with Danielle's. Yeah, home projects count. Um, as an example, let's say you want to be a network engineer or a network admin, showing that you've set up your own Cisco you know, home router, your switch, uh, you know, showing that you have your own racks goes goes a million miles further than having CCNA, right? You know, like showing that you've actually done it. Uh, so yeah, any home projects, think of it as a um, think of it as you're baking a cake, right? And 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 this will go, I think, to Phil's a little bit too. So just because I have the frosting of the cake doesn't mean that I, you know, I have a cake, right? Or just because I have the eggs doesn't mean I have everything of the cake. Now, when I combine all these things, that's when I make the delicious cake. And by the way, I'm not a baker, so I I, I know eggs go in a cake. I think I don't I don't really it's maybe sugar. I don't know, um, but uh, 
you know, you have all these ingredients, right? So think of your life and your career as as you're as you're making a cake or or a dish or whatever food thing you like, right? You have all these ingredients that you can do. Now, some ingredients are a little more important than others, right? If I, I don't, I guess I shouldn't have chosen a cake because I don't really know the ingredients. But um, if I don't have sugar for my recipe, then it's not going to be a good cake, right? Because it's not going to be sweet or, or whatever. If I don't have the frosting at the end, maybe that's not as critical because maybe the cake itself is sweet. So everything's got kind of a weight to it. And so when we talk about the projects, those are a little heavier weight than say the, the sugar on top, which is more of the getting the certs or something, right? Or getting the degrees. But when we talk about the, the, um, the branding, the, the sales, the soft skill stuff, where you really have to learn how to position yourself in the marketplace and really form, you know, and also form really good connections and not just liking people's posts, like actually like, trying to get people on a call, like, hey, can I ask you questions about this? Or, hey, do you have resources on this? That stuff's what I would consider the base of the cake, right? So like the base of the cake is the most important. If I don't have, let's say it's a three, let's say it's a 10 layer cake, I don't know. If I don't have that first base, the rest of it's going to fall over, right? So it doesn't matter how great the frosting is. It doesn't matter how great the rest of the layers are. If I don't have that solid base of the fundamental stuff, then everything else falls over. So to your, to your question, Danielle, the base of the cake is the home projects and, and also branding yourself and improving your sales skills. I mean, there's books like the, um, I'm looking at it, the Sandler rules. There's a lot of sales books out there. Like, but at the end of the day, you kind of learn these techniques and you talk through it, like actually create. So on the sales aspect, actually create a script, right? Like pretend you're going in for that job interview of whatever you're going to apply for, or what you think you're going to apply for. And figure out any objections that that you've either had from experience or you've or that you think that that recruiter or hiring manager or whomever is going to throw at you. Right. Like, oh, well, you don't have enough experience or, you know, like so think through all those and then make an answer for those. Right. And practice that script as much as you can, because, number one, you're going to be a lot more comfortable going into an interview. And number two you're going to be able to knock down every objection basically that they have. And if, if they come up with something you don't know, and let's say you don't get that job, put that in your script, figure out an answer to it. And then you go to the next one. And pretty soon you're going to find that you're going to get the job. Now to your, your question, Phil, as I was mentioning the, the base, right? The main part of the cake there, if you're doing projects, how do people know about it? Right? Like you may be doing projects, you might be posting it on your LinkedIn or something, but like, if you're not seeing that people care about it or they're not liking it or they're not reaching out to you, then you're probably using the wrong medium. Why don't you start a podcast and 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 just say this week I'm going to talk about the project that I worked on of this and you're going to explain it a little bit and you're going to you know maybe have a video of you walking through it and say check me out on my YouTube channel because you can see you know me hacking this thing or what I don't know what you're doing Phil but you can see me hacking this thing on YouTube and you can see it you know, whatever and it may not happen right away but but probably the medium that you're doing is the wrong medium right or you just have the wrong audience, right? Because if you're, the way to do like LinkedIn, for example, it can't be all about you, right? Like I, I you know, I know recently I did some things because I'm really proud about the show, but I never make LinkedIn just about me. I try to share things that I think would benefit people, you know, free resources. I try to give, you know, people 
you know, some love, some, some, some props and stuff like that. And so if all you're doing, Phil, on like LinkedIn, for example, is posting me, 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 like that's a turnoff, right? Like, like just pretend you were going on a, your first date, right? Like you, you go on the, and if you're married, I won't tell you what, but um, if you're going on that first date, right? Like if it's all, if you're like me, 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 oh, I do this, I do that. Unless the other person is really weird or crazy, like they're going to be turned off by that, right? Like they're like, this is a bad date, you know, and they're going to give you body language like this is not going to work out. Uh, so you can't be all about me, right? And so you have to do the same way with social media and everything. Like with your projects, maybe figure out, Phil, what you're doing now is, are there like volunteer things out there that you could contribute on, like volunteer things as well because of the skill set you're, you're learning? The other aspect is, is there anyone that's trying to get in cyber that, because there's always, you're always a chapter ahead of someone else, right? So in, in the book of life. And so is there anyone else that's maybe trying to get into cyber a teenager or something that you can maybe show how to do those projects? Because then you can say, Hey, I, I, I teach high schoolers how to do, I don't know. I, I teach high schoolers how to learn Nessus, right? I don't, again, I don't know what you do, Phil, but you got to think outside the box. So if the project thing is not working, it's usually related to the branding, you know, how you're posting it, how you're showcasing it. So you may explore creating a podcast. Those are pretty easy to do. You might explore why well, I say that, but they're actually really difficult. Um, you can do it. <laughs> Renee will tell you. Uh, you can do a podcast. You might just do a YouTube channel. Uh, you might just do, uh, I mean, most of us aren't on Facebook, but you might do a Facebook Live. Like there's a lot of different ways to kind of get your name out there. And it, it, just because you're not getting engagement on your post doesn't mean people aren't stalking you, right? Like, I've had a lot of people that never like or comment on a post reach out to me and then, you know, we do a deal or we have, you know, create, create a good relationship, whatever. So not everyone's going to like and post and not everyone will do that immediately because when you put out content, Phil, you have to understand that someone might see that a year from now. And that might be the, you know, you have to be patient with it. That might be the thing that catalysts you into that dream job that you, you know, so you may have to work the job you hate for six months or something, but, but then all of a sudden, because you're doing these things all the time, um, I, I like to say it's like a snowball, right? You, you, you roll a snowball down the hill, and as it's going down the hill, there's going to be some rocks and whatever else, right? Those are things in life that are the challenges of life. And if you, if you let that stop you, then the snowball only gets so big. But if you keep going over those and you keep getting more snow, it's, you know, by the time you get to the bottom of the hill, you get this massive snowball, and that's your, your success, right? And so you have to keep going down that hill of life. And it's really challenging. And sometimes there's like a huge boulder in the way, right? And you have to figure out the way to get around that thing to keep going down the hill of life and, and you know, and, and, and build your snowball up. So, um, Phil, uh, I will say ping me on LinkedIn so I can look at kind of what you're doing. I'll give you some more direct advice. But usually it's it's more about the, you know, if we think of that cake, again, I should probably learn how to, before I use analogies, Renee, I should probably learn how to bake a cake. But, <laughs> Uh, what what ingredients go in it? But um, people understand. Yeah, yeah. Like you gotta you gotta do the 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 fundamentals, right? No matter what it is in life. Um, I see Sharon's uh, making a website, showing videos of you doing your own projects. Yeah, you can have your own website. In fact, I encourage that if it's in your budget. I, yeah. Um, I had someone reach out to me. Ken, let me just read it yeah. because um, this goes on iTunes too, and sometimes people aren't. Oh, watching. gotcha. Yeah. So Sharon Lawrence says, I heard sometimes making a website showing videos of doing your home projects can work too. Yeah, absolutely. 
like I said, I encourage people to get your own website where it's pretty low cost, right? To get a website these days to just showcase you, your brand, like you're a brand, like too many people are tying themselves to a company. Unless that company is paying you for your brand, like they pay you a salary to do the task in your job, right? They don't pay you for your personal brand. And you, you have to understand that. And it's, it's mind, it's a mind blowing thing sometimes for, for people that are kind of in that, um, that employee mindset, right? Like I'm going to work a job and this is, I don't, I never want my own business, but you are a business, right? There's, you're a personal brand. And so the website's something good. You know, if it's in your budget, don't go taking loans out to get a website up. That <laughs> doesn't make any sense, right? There's YouTube. It's so easy nowadays. Goodness. It is. Yeah. It's, it, it's so low cost. Um, but still, if if you literally don't have a budget, just film and put on YouTube, right? Like you, there's nothing wrong with that. But you do want some some place where you kind of live, right? Like where your brand kind of lives, and and it's it could be Twitter, I guess, probably not the best one, but like LinkedIn, YouTube, your own blog, your own website, all these things are great places for your brand to live. Because again, going back to my point earlier about about Phil you never know when someone's going to see that thing years from now. Right. And you never know what kind of impact it's going to have. You might be talking about your, just your struggles with something. Hey, I'm trying to learn coding and I, I, man, this Python stuff's hard or or whatever. Python's easy, but if you're trying to learn, you know, Oh, it's, it's difficult. Uh, I'm trying to learn Golang and it's, it's, Oh, it's so terrible. Somebody might see that five years from now and then, Oh gosh, they're going through that same struggle I did and they figured it out because I'm looking at all their other videos. So you never know what kind of impact your, um, your stuff will uh, have on someone else. So yeah, website, whatever you want to do, but you need to get your brand out there. That's a mistake. A lot of people make, they try to they try to be all super secretive. Like they're a CIA spy or something. Like you, <laughs> if you really want to, and, and I get it, right. There's weirdos out there. There's bots out there. There's you know, nefarious people out there, but the reality is if you never showcase your skills and you never, reach out to people for help. You're never going like, I don't read minds, right? So like, if you, if you think that we connect and I'm going to magically read your mind and reach out to you and be like, Hey, I just had this random thought that you were trying to learn this. Here's all these, sorry, that's not going to happen. It's never happened. Reach out to me though. And you say, Hey, I'm looking to learn this. If I don't know it, if that's not my specialty area, like, you know, threat intelligence or something, guess I'm going to connect you with Chris or Ron, right? Cause they're masters. That's their craft. Right. So you have to tell people you have to, you have to reach out to people. You have to leverage the connections you have and, and, and don't be creepy. Just PSA announcement. Be a, PSA, PSA announcement for don't anyone. Be creepy. PSA announcement. Look, I get a lot of women and men, but predominantly women in the industry sharing stories with me of weirdos on LinkedIn as well. Right. You're beautiful or whatever. Look, if you're out there and you think that that's approach, the approach because some people, have a different mindset. If you think that's the way to approach someone on LinkedIn, it's not. I mean, if I've had that happen. I'm like, did you like look at my, well, I know I'm a stud, but Hey, um, but like, that's not the way. So like, and also it's, the way isn't to be like, gimme, gimme, gimme. Right. So as an example, let's say that Renee and I just connected and let's say I was someone looking for a job. I'm not going to, I'm not going to send my resume to Renee. I'm also not going to be like, tell me what jobs you have. Right. I'm going to simply say, thanks for connecting, Renee. It's great to connect. Let me know if I can ever help you, right? And she'll probably respond back. Yeah, yeah, it's good to connect, whatever, right?
But if she doesn't respond back right away or or ever, not, it's not going to break my heart. I'll reach out with another message like, hey, I liked your post on this. Thanks for sharing the helpful resource. Because I can tell you from my own experience, I get like four to 500 messages a day on LinkedIn, right? I mean, I've got over 10,000 plus connections and I try to respond to everybody. What I had to do is I basically have a couple of days a week. I respond to people because I just, if I spend every day doing that, I'm not, I'm never going to get anything done. So yeah. just because someone doesn't respond right away as well, that's another message. It doesn't mean that they're not, that they're a jerk or, or whatever. Sometimes they miss it because they get a lot of messages. Sometimes they, they're busy. Sometimes people don't check LinkedIn as much as you think they do, right? So just a PSA announcement out there. You know, we probably have a pretty, pretty broad audience around the world. That's the U.S. culture I'm talking about, right? So if you're not U.S. culture and you're not familiar with that, just be a little more gentle on your messaging, be a little more patient with people, and, um, and you'll probably have a lot more success building real, uh, real relationships. That's really, really good advice because I don't think people fully understand, Ken, and you're similar to me in that, you know, as a recruiter, there's two, there's, there's a couple of different people. You know, I serve the people who are my clients who are typically a, an organization and a leader. And then, you know, their messages are coming in and then the people who I'm doing outreach to, those messages are coming in. So you can have three, 400 messages and you're going through to get to, you know, your priority messages. And then you go down a list and, you know, you get to the other folks and we ultimately want to help everyone. Hence why you're putting out the TV show. Hence why we have this breaking into cybersecurity. I mean, this came about because like, I can't answer all these messages. Let me just put something <laughs> out. Um, but you know, you're, you hit on so many different topics here. There's so many things. Um, Philip connect with Ken with your question, he wants to know how much does, how many, you know, how much does, how much do recommendations help? Um, I don't see them overly helping that, that much when like, if you're talking recommendations on LinkedIn, um, what do you say, Ken? Yeah. So recommendations, again, going back to the cake analogy, right? Like, like, it's the, I, it's the cherry. Yeah. That's a great, yeah. That, it's, it's cherry, it's on, top cherry on top of the cake. It's like, yeah. it's nice. Yeah. I probably actually should have used a, like a hot fudge Sunday analogy. That would have been <laughs> better. Um, but yeah, no. So recommendations are nice. They're, they're a way to showcase what the marketplace says about you, Phil. Um, they're, they're good to, especially if you decide to have your own website and stuff, they're good to, to basically say like, what do people say about me type of thing on your website and, and you know, just copy and paste those in into your website. Um, are they, are they going to be the first thing someone sees? No, because on LinkedIn, they have to scroll all the way down to your profile to the bottom to see those. Right. So they're not necessarily the, the big thing, but they may be a differentiating factor. So if you don't have any, uh, you know, I would ask people for them, like your boss or, or whomever, um, if you don't have a cyber job, then when you ask for recommendations from people, uh, just usually try to give them some direction, but like, hey, can you write me a recommendation around my customer service skills, right? Like, let's just say you don't work anything technology and you're, you're working at McDonald's. Can you, can you write one for me around my customer service skills or my time management skills or you know, just, just anything, right? Because you never know how that cherry on top might help. It's not a major factor, Will, um, for a job seeker. Now, for a business owner using LinkedIn or leveraging LinkedIn, 
it could be the difference between you getting business or not. It's it's a way for, again, going back to the marketplace, for them to, to talk about the results that you've given, right? Because when you run a business, it's not about you. It's not about your your fancy logo. It's not about uh, your website. Like I, I've already got press releases and media coverage for the show. I don't even have the website built. I'm working on that today, right? So it's not about the, the technology and stuff when you're a business owner. It's about the results that you can get, right? Like I already know I have results for the show, right? I already have viewership. I already have all these things. So it's more important for a business owner to have those recommendations, Phil, because they show what results you've actually gotten for past clients. But for a job seeker, going back to Renee's, you know, mention, it's it's a cherry on top, right? It's it's if I was still comparing you to someone else and figuring out who I'm going to call and like you both have pretty much everything the same, right? You're putting out projects, you're going to experience all that stuff's the same. I'll look at recommendations and be like, oh, people say Phil's good. You know, Ken doesn't have any recommendations, right? You know, so that might be the difference there, but not necessarily. So it's not, that's a long way, a long answer of saying it's not that important for a job seeker. But I still recommend that you get them in there, right? You still need them in there because it helps in the LinkedIn algorithm to get your profile surface more. And I would also just add a little additional nugget or from a from a, a manager and a recruiter perspective, we would hope your recommendations would be people. It's almost like doing references, right? You're never going to give us a reference that says Phil sucks. <laughs> <laughs> so it comes with that, you know, from a from a hiring manager perspective and a recruiter perspective, it's probably the last thing that we look at if we look at it at all. Um and it truly is the cherry. Like if it happens to be someone, like if I know somebody in the industry or we know somebody that's super well respected in the industry and they have their, um, this person wrote them a recommendation, it's like, oh, uh, and I'll give a quick example before we go, but like Kevin Mitnick had written a, 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 a was somebody's recommendation on their resume. So that was like, whoa, you know, <laughs> Kevin Mitnick is the person's resume no, recommendation? interesting you know like that's a clearly a big deal but as for all the other thousands of resumes that i've seen and linkedin profiles that i've viewed and things like that it's it's, it's really not that super important that if, if we were going to rank things i would do what ken said earlier in terms of your project you know getting your projects out there getting them posted and all that kind of stuff because then you'll start to get recommendations from people who are watching what you're doing um so there's that. So um, Ken, it's been an hour and almost 20 minutes. <laughs> Goodness gracious. You were like the longest podcast we've had <laughs> in, in a beautiful, awesome way. Danielle says, hire me because you can't go wrong with a good win. Katia says, follow her YouTube channel. Katia's like Sci Life. So she could because she answers all the questions that people have. Um, just real quick, Renee, D- Danielle, yeah. put that at the top of your resume. When you apply for jobs, put that, that, that at the top of your resume. So when, when, when you do get past the ATS or when you send it, your resume to a recruiter, it's, it's a conversation piece, right? Like it just, it shows your human element, Put that, that was phenomenal, a phenomenal headline. In fact, um, you, you actually, if you don't have that already in your headline of your LinkedIn, you should put that there too. That's man, that was that's great. You should be a copywriter. Anyways, <laughs> go ahead, Renee. <laughs> He's giving you more jobs, Danielle. You're gonna be working for Ken shortly. <laughs> um, 
Ken, thank you so, so much for being here, for being a guest, for being the person who you are, for being the hype man, for being, you know, training so many people in security, connecting with us on so many different levels um, and being such an awesome resource. And we all cannot wait for this TV show. So when is the first episode airing? Let people know and let people know how they can find you. Yeah, so you can find me on LinkedIn. Um, the website, when I build it, will be cyberlife.tv. Uh, so that's where you can go. It's not built yet, so you go there and nothing will happen. Um, and I don't have an exact date yet for the first episode launching. I'm planning early November as of right now, so possibly the first week in November. But I will keep everyone abreast on LinkedIn, so that's why I say just connect with me there and, and keep an eye out for my posts, especially as it gets closer to November. Awesome. Excellent. Thank you so much, Ken. Thank you for being my my fill-in since Oprah uh, couldn't make it today. So I got Copra here. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There you go. Netflix Copra. <laughs> yes. I got Copra here. Thank you so much for being here. And thank you all on a Sunday afternoon. I can't believe how busy we are. Like so many comments and everything else. I wondered about Sundays. Um, through Cybersecurity Awareness Month, we'll have someone on every day. And Ken, I cannot thank you enough. And audience, I cannot thank you enough for being here. And thank you for being a part of another episode of Breaking Into Cybersecurity. Have a good Sunday afternoon, everybody. Bye.